being the worst, episode 7, recorded live, Friday, September 7th, 2012. From beingtheworst.com, it's the Being the Worst podcast. Audio apprenticeships for the aspiring software craftsman. With your hosts, Carrie Street and Renat Abdulik. In this episode, Carrie reflects on his homework experiences, and then they discuss ways to refactor the code to accurately capture the car factory's requirements. And now, here are Carrie and Renat. Hello, everyone. This is Kerry, and I'm here with Renat. Welcome back to the Being the Worst podcast. Renat, still in Paris and still having fun here. <laughs> yep, and still in the same day plus, plus one hour. Plus one hour. One hour away. We're just doing back-to-back episodes right now. And in this one, continuing on the theme of the previous show, it's not fast-forwarding really, really fast past really important topics. So the, the episodes we've already published are very critical to the foundational aspects of this approach to developing software. So in this episode, we're going to get into what I sort of was reflecting on and learning while I was doing episode four and five's homework and get into some of those issues and maybe if there's time, start refactoring some of the existing code into maybe what I should have done or something like that. So sound good, Renat? Yep, sounds good. Excellent. Okay, cool. So some of the notes I took while I was doing the episode four and five homework was it became clear when I was exchanging some emails with Renat that somewhere along the way, I missed a key requirement, I think, or I misunderstood one of the requirements because uh, my takeaway was I need to watch for opportunities as we're going through these episodes to sort of switch from host mode to real developer mode so that I would do the things that I would normally do. So if I've spent the time and effort and money to go sit down with a domain expert, a business person who has taken time out of their day to help me understand how to model and understand their business... I would not normally just rely on my tape recorder. Well, they don't have tape recorders anymore, but my digital recorder of, well, you know, just like I did with the podcast. Renat just said some stuff. I think I got most of it, but it's recorded. I can play it back and get the actual requirements and worry about that later. Mistake in my mind, because one, I did have it recorded, but I still had some questions about it. So I had some uncertainty about those requirements. And in the real world, if I didn't call Renat out about that and get clarity on that while he's sitting in the same room with me, which is the cheapest time to catch it, then it's going to introduce bigger problems in, in the, those things that I experienced, which is delays. You know, I went and wrote some code that didn't meet all the requirements and it was feeling wrong. And uh, now I have to reschedule and rewrite code and just, just a bad thing. So the takeaway was, do your best while you have the attention of the business to really try to fully understand all the aspects of what they're telling you. Don't assume that you can worry about the minute details later. That was a that was a one problem. And um, also, uh, while we're at that topic, I want mm-hmm. to add that although it is better to try to capture the domain in as few iterations as possible, however, it will probably be impossible to capture everything in one go. So uh, be prepared, like for a couple of meetings, uh, for a couple of iterations as you talk to the domain experts for some time maybe like 45 minutes for 60 minutes and then you actually sit down to write what you understood what you learned and to express this knowledge in the code uh, because you can't uh, comprehend you can't uh, understand and learn in, in continuous stream because you need some time to uh, reflect on that to structure the knowledge in your head in such a way that it will be reflectable into the code 
So the process here is first to talk to the domain expert, to try uh, to get the language, to try to get the shape of the domain, to try to get the common words, and then start capturing this information in the code, in the specifications, and in actual behavioral code. As you are doing that, uh, not only you will get your clearer picture of where you are going, you can also sometimes find the spots that are uncertain, that maybe were not evident in the speech, that were not evident in the language, but they're evident in the code because some message doesn't pass somewhere else or because you have this variable which is named and you're not sure, really sure where the, how this uh, instance this variable uh, will go out or work out. And when you ask questions about this stuff, but uh, not using the names of variables, not using the variables or not using the messages, but actually using the domain language. Sometimes you can you will ask questions that will astound domain experts as being really insightful and deep about their domain, it's as something that only the true professional would ask. Although uh, here, like one of the true professionals, we're just following the lead that the code was provi providing us. And as you go through these iterations from the domain expert from the real-world model to capture domain model and uh, the domain model that is expressed in the text and language and down to the domain model that is expressed in the code. And as you iterate for that circle, you'll be able to refine uh, your understanding and capture it in the code understanding to the level that this code not only reflects the true and necessary parts of the real world, but it's also crisp, it's understandable, it's almost poetic. I think that I mean that that helps to know that you're not trying to get it perfect and the and I think some of the points that are coming up now make you more comfortable with not trying to get it perfect the the first time and and so as I was doing the homework I've heard the term code smells and gut feeling while you're writing the code and because in the original sample I was dismissive of how it was written because I said, well, this is a sample, you know, so that's why we're, we're reusing this variable that is keeping track of stuff that was unloaded from the, I think it was unloaded from the cargo bay or the truck had arrived. We said there was number of shipments to be unloaded from the cargo bay. And I interpreted one of the requirements is, and you can assume that anything that was unloaded is available for the factory. So while I was doing episode four's homework, I had these variables that were sort of doing two things. One was referencing a list of things that had been transferred to the cargo bay, but also keeping track of the inventory available to build cars. And so that was the beginning of something doesn't smell right here. I don't, I don't like the way this is, but I dismissed it as it's a simple sample. That's why we merge these variables together. I'm not going to worry about it and move on. But just, just a note there that it seems like you can start to feel with this model, at least when you're probably going down a road that's not going to be ideal or something that you don't want. So, and it ended up being the case, but um, just to, just to mention that we, we can maybe get into some of your experience, some other episode about uh, mm -hmm. what are code smells and what kind of feelings do you get when you know you're going down the wrong road? Cause I think that'd be an interesting topic as well. But mm -hmm. how do you know you're pro probably doing it wrong? <laughs> and so this gut feeling, this uh, understanding that something is going wrong because the variable is, was too ambiguous. Uh, that Kerry had, it actually proved uh, to be uh, correct later because when we were exchanging emails and when I was looking at Kerry's homework, I realized that he missed something really important. Uh, he was, uh, while implementing the code to produce 
real uh, cars out of the car parts, he was actually using uh, the inventory, which is, was still in the cargo bay. And uh, probably it was my fault that I didn't uh, spell it out rather clearly that the shipment which was transferred to the cargo bay, first it has to be unloaded by a factory worker uh, in order to be available for the production of the cars. So uh, there was a missing step and Keras implementation of the domain logic was uh, simply not correct in this case. Right. Yep. And and when we get into some of that, you'll you'll see what I ended up doing and what was driving me crazy. But um, because we we combined episode four and five a little bit, episode five is really just an evolution of the factory domain that we started in episode four's homework. What I did because Renat and I had been exchanging emails and. I realized there was a requirement that when I played the recording back and wrote it down, for whatever reason, I misunderstood some assumptions that I was making. So rather than try to fix it all and go back and forth in email, what I chose to do was episode five was, again, uh, we talked about specifications and unit testing and and use cases. So uh, we decided that I would take my existing episode four homework and move it in pretty much as implemented in episode four into episode five and start wrapping those things with some of the test infrastructure that we talked about. So that's what my episode five homework reflects right now. And I just made a note there that I was pretty happy with that approach because I knew we're, we're trying to be able to be iterative and uh, evolve our code over time as our understanding of the requirements changes or the environment changes. And I, I wrote a note down here that, you know, that the testing was sort of evolution security blanket. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. so worried about changing the stuff now because I knew my tests would, would break if I broke something that was already working. So that was, that was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing was, you know, I, I changed some words and I'm, I tended to be verbose in my homework. If you look at that, you'll see that I changed some stuff. Mm-hmm. Renat, I don't know how uh, crazy you think I am for doing things like that. But one of the examples was when I'm reading, when I was reading the, the existing sample, we just use this very small, simple word like state, you know, underscore state to represent the state of an aggregate. Well, my brain, when I read state, thinks California. That's where I live. So what state is this? Maybe maybe for everyone else, they think variable state and the state state machines and stuff like that. But it was driving me crazy. And so I changed it to something like uh, aggregate state or something. I'm not looking at it this second. But, but even more to, to that point, when the events were represented by E, I'm like, well, when I read that, the E can mean anything. It can mean event, exception, elephant. I don't know. So I just changed the E to the underscore, you know, the event. So when I was reading it back, it was saying, when blah, the event happens, then do this. So that's probably just a style choice. But uh, that's why you'll see some of those differences, because I tend to be more verbose like I am right now. (laughs) And and uh, as a result, actually, of this verbosity, uh, this code, not only it reads uh, like a sentences, but it uh, looks almost like some of the projects that were Greenfield, and they didn't look nice after the first release, but then we had some time to do additional polish and to make more clarification so that the project will be more maintainable and understandable. Uh, and the variables were there getting really verbose and descriptive. Mm-hmm. And that's what already Keras code looks like. Mm-hmm. It reads like a text. That's what it should do. Oh, so that's a good thing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, and then... Uh and then I think for some other episode, I would love to get some opinions another time about how do you actually do this? Do you do 
test first development? Do you always write your test first? And do, should I feel bad if I don't write all my tests first and then go implement it? Because at least in the migration scenario where I took a non, non brand new project, I took code from that was kind of working, although with some incorrect logic and understanding from episode four and was moving it over to episode five. I started by just writing the test um, first, but then realized that most of my requirements were already captured in the code. So I started pasting that code over into episode five and started building the tests around them. And I wasn't sure what you would actually do in the real world in that case. So just, just a note. Well, the usual answer, uh, we can uh, address a little bit of that here because it uh, touches the specification tests. So in the real world, it all depends on the case. For example, when you have a small project, which fits in your memory and which probably will not be uh, that long-lived. So uh, it's much easier to avoid all the dancing around and not just write tests if you're sure that your code is simple and that it's well understandable. If your code is simple, if your code is so uh, descriptive that it just reads, if there are no hacky stuff, no hacky variables, no hacky operations, then you don't really need to have tests. If there is a failure, you'll be able to correct the code. Uh, however, as uh, the projects get more complicated and as you get more and more people working on the same project and people obviously have different backgrounds and different stories and different understanding of what the same thing means, uh, different uh, skill levels, in order to guarantee uh, some of the quality levels, some of the results to stay consistent, it's advised to write tests in the areas which uh, are going to cause a lot of trouble. Uh, however, it again, it all depends on the people that you have, on the project that you have, on the domain that you're dealing with. For example, uh, two, uh, one of the two latest projects I look at, one being uh, SalesCast2, which was one of the most complicated projects, uh, no, it was the most complicated project in my life, and mm-hmm. we managed to pull it off and it's running in production. And I don't think it has any noticeable or significant number of tests. So all the data crunching, all the self-adaptive uh, data pooling from uh, various databases, all the stuff, there are no real tests. Uh, all, of course, like the behaviors are implemented there uh, using these ag- uh, aggregates, and it works, and the code is kind of readable. And technically, I can add uh, tests. That's what I, I was actually thinking about. But it was, uh, in this specific case, it was never worth the effort because there was one easy way to do synthetic high-level testing is by actually running integration with a set of databases. And the uh, process was either pushing it off from the beginning to the end, or it was failing. However, uh, I have another project, which in code is much simpler than this uh, data processing platform. It's the behavioral part, it's the subscription management. And although the code there is much simpler, the code coverage, the test, uh, the coverage by unit tests of the business logic is extremely high. If I were bothering to check uh, that such a thing as a code coverage, then I would say that oh, there are lots of lots of lines of code that are covered by unit tests at least dozens uh, by dozen calls. Uh, that's because in this case, the cost of the mistake, the cost of uh, some mess up, is extremely high. That, that's also because there is so much of different levels of uh, business logic, of uh, various levels of decisions so that I don't even trust myself to remember all the details. So it's much easier to capture the stuff in user stories and in uh, specifications, so that whenever I'm adding some 
a complicated tidbit. For example, if the difference between car uh, amount that was added to customer's balance and the amount that he uh, has to pay is less than 10 cents in euro or any currency equivalent, then we can actually consider this uh, specific uh, balance to be still active and okay. So uh, while we're talking about the behavioral part, uh, hopefully you'll be using aggregates with event sourcing only to capture the stuff that really require that level of detail, uh, that require that level of uh, expressiveness. And if you do, then it would mean that it's really advised to uh, write unit tests and specifications. Not only they're fun, not only they're interesting to read, but they also serve as additional way to validate your logic. You're double-checking yourself, but you're not, not only double-checking the code, but you're double-checking the domain model. Yep. And that, that was the, that's what you mentioned in episode five about how it sort of felt like we were duplicating our code and the specifications, but that was for the purpose of being able to move and change code and not worry about it too much because your tests still pass. Yes, absolutely. And so uh, dealing with your homework. Yeah, I'm looking so, at the, the ugliest one is, is in factory.cs is where I was looking at. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> Okay. Uh, so uh, how would I would approach uh, this scenario? So uh, is by first writing a few specifications, which actually uh, express the missing use cases. Okay. And obviously, uh, these specifications, when uh, we're running them either in the console or in unit test runner, uh, they will fail. Okay. And then we can actually uh, start by proceeding by making first, like, one of the first unit tests pass, then a second unit test pass, then make, like, all the other missing specifications to pass. Uh, And since we have additional unit tests that check all the other moving points, uh, if we have not exhaustive, but uh, coherent and rather expressive specification coverage of our aggregate. If we add new functionality that uh, in such a way that code passes not only existing tests but new tests, this would mean that we didn't break anything and we successfully added new feature. That makes sense. And, and in this sample, again, we're referring to episode five's homework on GitHub, uh, and we'll have a link to the original as well as my homework, uh, as usual, on the website under the episode. We're looking in program.cs because in this sample, we're trying to make it easy for people that don't have NUnit or a test runner installed to just hit Control F5 and watch the specs output to the window. So right now, there's a lot of stuff in program.cs to deal with, but I'm looking at line... 128 right now it might change later but right now were you i'm zeroing in on this when underscore produce car factory spec and so that could be helpful because right now as of this point in time i'm not totally clear on which requirement was missed so let's start there by looking at what is implemented in the spec and you explaining to me what i got wrong from the requirements point of view okay uh so using the common language Mm-hmm. The uh, requirement that I considered to be missing was given that we have a shipment that arrived to the factory, and given that this uh, shipment with uh, enough spare parts uh, was transferred, was unloaded from the cargo bay, uh, when we produce a, a car, obviously, in, in all these givens, we assume that enough car parts were actually unloaded into the, from the cargo bay. Uh, then when we produce a car, the car should be produced 
and at the same time, for instance, if we have a situation where car parts uh, arrived at cargo bay and we tried to produce a car, then we should definitely get a failure. Because car parts sitting in the cargo bay, they are not unloaded, they are not ready to be used, maybe they are not cleaned, maybe they are not checked. So the car parts have to be unloaded from the cargo bay uh, in sufficient amount uh, in order to produce the car. So uh, the missing requirement, uh, the missing unit test is first to check that if we have shipment transferred to cargo bay with uh, all the various sets of cargo parts, uh, and when we try to produce the car, uh, it should fail. Uh, if we have shipment transferred to cargo bay with enough uh, car parts, and uh, but only, like, for example, if we have two shipments that uh, were transferred to the cargo bay, one shipment carrying half of the car parts needed to produce Model T, and the other shipment carrying another half of the parts, and only one of the shipments were unloaded, then our attempt to produce car of Model T should actually fail. And while uh, reading your uh, unit tests for uh, the case when producing a car, one thing I've noticed, it's not uh, even a uh, fault, but some, maybe some of the missing logic. You know, uh, when you're sh transferring shipment to cargo bay, you don't need to package each different uh, car part uh, in a separate uh, shipment. You can actually have multiple car parts in one shipment. Okay, so let, before we get into some of that, let's, let me get back to the source of the confusion, and that was factory.cs. There's this list of car parts. It's a list mm -hmm. that contains an array of car parts, and it mm -hmm. gets filled by shipments waiting to be unloaded. So in my understanding of the domain currently, that is there's a truck, back of a truck sitting at the in the factory cargo bay, and they need that stuff out of the truck and put it into a cargo bay. Is that not what that means? Well, not exactly. Okay. So when a shipment uh, arrives to the cargo bay, mm -hmm. it's uh, sitting like either in truck or big boxes. The details don't matter. Mm -hmm. However, these boxes have to be unloaded and uh, like car parts from these boxes have to be unwrapped and put on the shelves for the workers to use them. Okay, so because right now I'm, I was viewing a... When, when you're populating the array of car parts inside of shipments waiting to be unloaded. So uh, you're talking about the event? I'm talking about, well, I'm specifically talking about the contents of that variable and what they actually represent. So that list called shipments waiting to be unloaded mm -hmm. in the domain, does that mean right at that point in time, are you saying those are the things that are waiting to be unpacked and unwrapped? Yes. Okay, that's where that's where I think we went wrong because where I went wrong. I understood that to be is no, there's shipments waiting to be unloaded and when you unload them, you're unloading them from the truck and then you're putting them in the cargo bay and then when you transfer them somewhere else because I think somewhere else there's a transfer event, the transferring is where the things are getting unloaded. I thought. <laughs> so, okay, so we're got uh really at loss in the communication and yeah. language. Yes. Probably one of the reasons was actually caused by the initial wrong choices uh, of the words in the terminology. Okay. 
So, uh, and this is actually the scenario, like this uh, feeling of uh, discomfort, this feeling of uh, not understanding, like while we're, although we're talking about this, a few variables and a few events, mm-hmm. it's actually what happens in the real world uh, all the time. Although right. in that case, they can be more involved and complicated sounding uh, terminology, but the process uh, continues. It's so uh, right now we're kind of having a drill of what happens in the real world in the real enterprise applications. Right. Okay. Uh, so let's try to get this one more stri- time straight. Okay. So uh, and maybe while we're uh, talking that uh, you'll be able to figure out the words uh, for the commands and for the events and uh, as in the outcome for the variables that describe the process better. Okay. So we have a factory. Uh, th- uh, this factory has a cargo bay, and this factory has an actual factory floor. Uh, cargo bay is the area where incoming trucks uh, put their big boxes of uh, car parts. Where uh, they put, uh, and actually, like this big box of car parts uh, that is uh, incoming to the factory, it's called shipment. Okay. Uh, each shipment it has it has a name, and it can contain multiple sets of car parts. And it's in this factory. It's uh, what it happens is first this sh- uh, shipment uh, is transferred to the cargo bay, or maybe is uh, brought in or imported to the cargo bay, and then there is a separate operation uh, where this incoming shipment, this huge uh, box of parts, it's uh, being transferred. It's being brought from this cargo bay into the factory floor. Mm-hmm. So uh, okay. one important thing: shipment is not car parts. Shipment is a packaged collection of car parts. Right. It has to be uh, unpackaged in order for the individual parts to be used. So uh, one of the problems that you might have actually uh, been having, and that's in, uh, that's it is indicated in the code, like when you're trying to count amount of... Uh, yeah, that was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, uh, what, uh, you're trying to count the amount of available wheels, engines, and bits and pieces. Right. And in order to that, first you were actually iterating shipments, which were actually packaged collections uh, of the car parts. And you were looking in a shipment and counting how much stuff uh, is available, which is actually wrong. Right. It's not wrong only for the code, because like the code looks ugly and messy. Uh, but it's also wrong from the factory perspective, because after you, when you are unloading the shipment, uh, when you are unwrapping it, you are uh, putting the same car parts uh, together on the shelf, so that it's actually really easy to, ch- to check them out. So here, the code by its ugliness was hinting to you uh, that something is, done, is not working right. Right. Yeah, that was clear in episode four when when we when I was sharing that list of shipments and inventory and as soon as i started writing that ugly code to start i couldn't get a reliable count i was actually wondering to myself i'm like why did we not have all these parts and these arrays that are hard to rip apart and just get a simple inventory count this is this isn't what i would want to do uh, because it's shipment <laughs> yeah exactly yes. <laughs> because the shipment that's funny okay how do we want to handle the approaching 30 minutes on a long episode? Should mm-hmm. we continue uh, in, the, in the next episode on making this not ugly? Or what do you think is the best way to, way to well, handle? Uh, my suggestion would be uh, let's just uh, figure out what were the troubles and how to proceed them. Okay. And then uh, you will uh, know like how to finish the homework. Mm-hmm. In such a way that uh, like all the requirements, uh, all the required specifications will be completed. Okay. And then uh, in the next episode, we'll actually 
talk about uh, maybe simplifying this code a little bit more and by actually introducing the application services and wiring them to the event stores. Okay. So I get probably going back to program.cs where the specs are will summarize what's actually implemented or not in, this, in my current homework. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at shipment transferred to cargo bay right there. Mm-hmm. So shipment transferred to cargo bay, you have shipment 11 that has a name that you mentioned in your requirements, and it has an array of engines. The first shipment has three engines in it. The second mm-hmm. shipment has 40 wheels in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at that point, the specifications for this use case are fine. It's yes. it's what it's the missing one next, which needs to be implemented. Uh, so if I were uh, a domain expert in mm-hmm. this case, like probably I wouldn't be uh, familiar with, maybe with development code to understand like how this means. But if you presented me with a printed out version of the specifications, uh, what I would say is that okay, so when transferred to shipment to cargo bay, this use uh, use case is fine which would actually for you mean that the method implementation of transfer shipment to Cargo Bay is implemented correctly. Uh, then uh, assign employee to factory, okay, it sounds good. So uh, this would mean that actually assign employee to factory method implementation is good for aggregate. And then, okay, uh, unload shipment from Cargo Bay, uh, the same. Okay, we have a problem when uh, in the method, uh, in the specification, when produce a car. So it means that your implementation of what produce a car method, it has some issues. Right. Now, before I get to the produce car method, the next one of the next specs mm-hmm. in program.cs is, and this is where I think the trouble happens, when unload shipment from cargo bay. So when yes. the unload shipment from cargo bay happens, we're checking a rule there that there's no shipments to unload. There are no boxes to go unload, so forget it. Then the other condition was the employee has already unloaded the cargo bay. Mm-hmm. And what other behavior is supposed to happen when the unloaded shipment from Cargo Bay event happens? Oh, uh, you mean what uh, behaviors? What which behaviors should occur in what, order to uh, create this event? What, yeah. What, what is there anything else that humans in the factory should be doing when the when the when unload shipment from Cargo Bay happens? Uh, yes. Uh, in this case, we didn't check. Uh, we didn't. We don't have a specification for actually for a successful event. For success uh, behavior, so uh, I would say we're missing a specification that says, uh, given new shipment transferred uh, to cargo bay, let's say a uh, shipment twenty uh, new car part uh, flux capacitor, uh, given that employee was assigned to factory, when we unload shipment from cargo bay, uh, then we have. Uh, events saying shipment unloaded from unloaded from cargo bay. Oh, I think that's actually a good point because one of the other things I didn't mention in the sample before I did my homework, there was no actual sample of how to use the then method. And, you know, we had a lot of specifications on exceptions, but I wasn't clear on how to call, how to generate a success case. So I had a bunch of failures cases and no successes. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what would the syntax for that be? So the way you've implemented the, the simple framework... Uh, it's uh, the syntax is absolutely the same as the given. As the given, okay. So uh, if you scroll up, for example, uh, to the yeah, actually you're right. We're, uh, in this test, we have mostly uh, only uh, failure tests. Uh, so that's really pessimistic code. It doesn't expect to succeed. 
Uh, right. Just look exactly. at the use case for when assign employee to factory uh, for the method call empty factory. Oh, then equals. So I didn't even see that one. Okay, so that that's the syntax on how I would generate successes. But yeah, it became very clear when I was writing these specs. I'm like, well, I'm testing all the bad things that can go wrong. But it'd be nice if the happy path of when things go right was in here. What do I do? So, so I need to add that for sure on pretty much everywhere. So let's talk about the missing spec. If when unload shipment from cargo bay's event is not supposed to handle the unwrapping of boxes and putting them on the factory floor. I need a new specification or a story about somebody needs to fill up the factory floor and, and give me an inventory, right? No, no, no. So unloading shipment from cargo bay is actually unwrapping the stuff. Okay. So unloading shipment from cargo bay, I would say that's uh, that's more like unbox junk and put on the shelf so I can use it. And I'll fit, come yes. up with better ways. Yes. <laughs> that's where we went wrong. Mm-hmm. When I implement that specification, I would imagine that's where I'm going to be creating the new list variables that take these random array of, of car parts and maybe track my inventory in there. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yep. So, I'll- so one of the things you can use, not even a list, but just a dictionary, uh, where the key is a name of the car part and a value is uh, amount of car parts that you have. Uh, if you remember, in the very beginning, when we were just starting to talk about the messages, uh, we had something similar uh, in our aggregate that was tracking product basket. Yep. We had, uh, like, we were tracking amount the products that were put in the basket. And uh, actually, the state variable that was used for that, uh, it was dictionary. Okay, so and here you can do the same. And not in this episode, but some other point in time, maybe we'll do something on... The Renat crash course on that that may not be applicable to the scope of the thing, but but what mm-hmm. I needed I need a crash course on lambdas and reading the syntax and making it sink into my head better because you can see that in the hack job that I put together to try to deal with figuring out what parts were available to build cars, mm-hmm. I started I don't even know Stack Overflowing and pasting stuff and I'm like yeah it's coming out well, it's actually, probably wrong <laughs> actually like first uh, as you. St- uh, so here, like in your really complicated code that has this array find all uh-huh. uh, and all the other things, yeah. uh, the code is uh, by itself complicated because you're uh, doing two operations in, at once. You're looking inside the shipment without unpacking it, which requires probably, uh, I don't know, some ESP skills, and you're counting, counting the parts inside the, uh, the sealed boxes. Yeah. The- <laughs> so if you split this uh, into two separate steps, first uh, un- unwrapping packages and then actually when you're producing car, uh, counting the numbers of the items of the car parts that are available on the shelf, inherently, because this, these are two separate steps, uh, your code would, uh, will be simpler. Right, and I think that goes back to the, one of the original points from this episode of the very last one, which is about you, when you start getting those that code smell and you're doing really wacky code that you know while you're looking on Stack Overflow that why does it feel like I'm building a, an artificial human here and this is really complex? Mm-hmm. It's a hint that I probably missed a simple requirement because this is no longer simple. This is a simple thing like how many engines do I have on the shelf is becoming a find, find an array event here and it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, cool. Yes, yes. All right. So, uh, while you're coding something, while you're trying to express the domain model in the code, uh, both the language and the code uh, will tell you when something is uh, is going wrong. So if the code is complex, although it reads uh, like a poem, 
maybe uh, you can simplify something. If the code is simple, but it reads like a it reads like a hacker's dream, then you are going drifting in the opposite direction. <laughs> right. Yep. And the good news is that was very apparent early in episode four's homework. So mm-hmm. these are you know we're just catching up with when I had a chance to finish the homework. So it seems like that was a little while ago, but really very early on that, that vibe was there and bad missed requirements was available there. We just haven't had a chance to talk about the missed requirements Mm -hmm. till now. So, um, great. I don't know how much more detail we need to get into it, but it sounds like I think a lot of it's going to make much more sense when I get into fixing that Mm -hmm. unboxing problem and implementing the code there and I suspect the rest of the requirements should flow from there. Do you see any other blatant missed specs that are going to cause me some problems when I try to refactor this? Uh, not really, I don't think it. So uh, if you start by writing specs and then start, start by writing specs that fail and then just uh, continually uh, do the refactoring uh, while keeping an eye on the specs, you should be fine. All right. And since uh, this episode is based on the homework, I suggest like to push uh, the current state of your homework uh, uh, to the samples, or maybe to push the final version of your homework into the samples. Uh, so the homework for uh, this episode is actually to uh, look at the mess that Kerry produced, <laughs> and uh, if you're uh, on the .NET, is uh, to try to refactor it while adding the missing requirement. And if you're uh, on not C sharp, then you're out of luck. First, you have to try to reproduce the mess your own way in your own language and then add the missing requirement. And I would say the key to reproducing that mess is if you, well, it'll be, it would be interesting to see if they ran into that mess, if their understanding of the spoken requirements in that episode didn't provide enough understanding for them to know, with, you know, if, if they haven't listened to this yet, or if it was very clear <laughs> and if they end up in the same hole that I did, or if I just really missed that big time? Well, it depends. Uh, perception of uh, every person uh, can exactly. be different. Exactly. And uh, actually, in the next episode, uh, what I'm planning to do is uh, to take the final version of your homework code and move forward with uh, refactoring it uh, more to the kind of quote-unquote enterprise service style by uh, wrapping it inside the application service. Uh, by putting like all the proper update statements and by making uh, actually this code remotely callable by commands and making that sure that it persists the events. And while doing that, we'll actually go through some lambdas as well because one of the shortcuts uh, to make such code simple and uh, relatively simply readable is uh, to use uh, the update uh, helpers which uh, contain lambdas. That would be great. And one of the additional uh, feature sets that we'll uh, introduce is to create a service that actually contains schematics of all the possible car parts. Uh, Because, as you know, when uh, workers at the factory, they are producing uh, cars, they have access to some library, uh, which contains the blueprints of all the possible cars. So uh, as soon as a new car model is available in the library, then they can produce new car. Awesome. Uh, and that functionality is uh, usually uh, not tracked in the aggregates. It's uh, like a dictionary. It's kind of vocabulary. Uh, it's uh, tracked in the domain service, which is injected into the aggregate. So it's a service that workers use in order to produce the car parts. Right, the cars. domain service or whatever. Yes. 
and and so when you when you build the code for the next episode, I would imagine that's when we'll start to see. Right now, we have all this code blobbed into everywhere. We'll start breaking it into pieces so it's easier to read, and we'll mm-hmm. start getting more files and structure to how it's going to really be uh, in the real world, probably. Yes, or closer. <laughs> so. uh, that's where we're heading. Uh, the uh, initial concept of these uh, first five episodes, which are ending like with uh, two episodes of our review, was to, just to get started with the basics, uh, with the domain language, uh, with the importance of getting the proper words, with understanding how it's easy to get into the mess if you don't capture the requirements properly, and how to get out of that mess. And uh, having that behind us, we'll uh, focus on actually like being more practical with that code and uh, writing the code that according to a look at practices. The code so far we're writing, the purpose was that to show and to demonstrate first importance of the language and second uh, to show that you don't really need any standalone framework uh, that you don't need uh, to have any specific libraries in order to capture the essence. It's just simple code that fits in a few files and that is, it is actually that the code that is most expensive and that's more, most hard to get. That's awesome. As we have learned the foundations and how to mess up and how to clean up those messes, I'm excited to, to move forward uh, after the fundamentals and start beginning the next phase of the journey, which is learning maybe the more proper way to build production software. And it sounds like we're not too many episodes away from getting a, a sample implementation going that's very similar to what Locad uses in their production every single day. So we're all set on the homework. Yeah, we're all set on the homework. I think I'll probably play it back uh, when my brain's a little less mm-hmm. congested, but um, uh, I'll play it back and, and get clarification on that before I start. You can bet I'll get clarification on those requirements before I start refactoring again. And I'll leave it up to the listeners to decide if did I intentionally screw this up so that we could prove a point or what did I really screw this up? Uh, <laughs> give me the benefit of the doubt people. Come on. Uh, anyway, uh, I think that'll do it for this one. We ran a little long, but not as long as the last few. So I think we'll be all right. Um, any other key points on this topic, uh, before we close it out, Renat? Uh, not really. It's, uh, just uh, folks who are listening to the podcast, uh, please don't hesitate to share your feedback uh, the things that we're, we're actually messing up because uh, that helps us uh, to get the feedback and improve in the subsequent episodes, starting from the reduced, hopefully reduced number of junk words and up to better content and answers to your questions. And also sharing uh, all this encouragement that, like, that really helps us. That's one of the factors that helps us to move forward and keep on driving. And that's one of the factors that aided to carry uh, healing up his uh, cold really fast and, and getting back on the track with editing and doing this heavy weightlifting uh, voiceover. Wow, I, I should really, <laughs> I should really, uh, I, I need to go work with you, Renat, because if, if you really are willing to take a simple cold that really wasn't that big of a deal and blow it into a monumental uh, challenge that I've overcome, I, I would love to see how you represent my performance to the executives and, and come to bonus time and things because. Uh, it really wasn't that bad. I just wasn't able to speak very well, and uh, so I didn't want to be talking like this. I don't think so. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, I think that'll do it for us. We'll see you guys next time. We've got some exciting stuff coming up, it sounds like, to me. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. 
Uh, remember, beingthewurst.com, leave your comments there. We're also taking some of those comments and putting them on the Trello backlog that we mentioned last time. So if you have any ideas or things like that, feel free to go edit that backlog yourself and put a new card on there. And, and that'll be an easy way for us to track what you guys have on your mind and what we might want to consider when the, uh, it meets the right time in the study plan and our roadmap. So till then, we'll uh, see you next time. Take care. Thanks, folks. Thanks for inspiring and listening. And talk to you next time. See ya. Bye-bye.